the Bible. Now, in case some of you are new, maybe you don't know what's going on. What we're doing this year is we're taking the entire word of God and preaching it every single Sunday morning. The entire, no, I'm just joking. You're like, what time is lunch? That's not going to work out well, um, you know. Anyway, no, what we're doing, though, is there, there's, a, there's a Bible out there called the One Year Bible. And what they've done is they've taken the Bible, split it up into 365 readings. And uh, there's an Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. And every day you can read a portion of the Bible. It takes about 15 minutes or so. And, uh, and that's what we're doing as a church. And so every week on the, the, like today, we look back at the past week and we pull out a nugget or a story or a message and we teach it on Sunday morning. And uh, now we've heard a lot of great things. How many of you guys, the Bible is coming alive to you a little bit more in this time? Yeah, it, it's amazing that if you read the Bible, first off, you got to read it. All right, it's kind of important. If you want to know something, you have to study it, right? So if you read the Bible, there's a lot of things that we go through day in and day out that the Bible really gives a, a much better perspective of than just ourselves, our own opinions, uh, what you know, CNN has to say about it, right? The, the Bible has a lot better perspective. And uh, so we're encouraging all of you to jump in. It's not like because you missed a few days that you can't continue to read. Just jump in whatever day it is and, and continue to read. So today what we're actually doing though is we're gonna reach back a week ago uh, in, the, in the book of Mark in chapter 14 and we're gonna pull something out from that week that we wanna discuss this week. And uh, it's one of those messages that it kind of, the, the title sounds really negative and really bad, but, but you're gonna see how it, it's really gonna be a good thing. But, but today we're talking about key ingredients to deserting Jesus. Doesn't that sound like a really just a good time? Aren't you glad you came to church today? And uh, keys to <laughs> key ingredients to deserting Jesus. And, uh, but the, the point is, is that we would identify some things so that way we don't do that, right? So that we don't, I mean, how many of you guys want to die? You want to stand before God one day and hear the phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what the Bible talks about. Uh, I think about that quite often, pretty much every day. One day I'm going to stand before God and uh, man, I want to see a smile on his face. You know, thinking about my life and looking back at how I lived it. And, um, and so I'm, I'm all about taking criticism. I read the word of God looking about, I want to hear what I'm doing wrong. I'll be honest. Uh, I'm kind of that personality. Tell me what I'm doing wrong or, or the, the wrong thinking because I want to adjust the way I'm thinking and living because I know I want to do what, what pleases God. And so, so today, key ingredients to, to leaving Jesus. And, and obviously, we don't want to do all of these things at all, okay? So... But we just took communion a while ago. And that is also found in Mark 14. We just took communion and Jesus had this great time with his disciples. It's the last supper and uh, he's telling them all of these, I mean, man, just weighty things. And what they do is after they take communion together and, and eat, they get up, they, they sing together. The Bible says they sang a hymn together and then they went to the Mount of Olives. Uh, what a great night, huh? Can y'all imagine hanging out with Jesus? And hearing the things that he said, feeling the presence of God in such a special way. Can you imagine singing with Jesus and then going on a hike, right? Going to the Mount of Olives. And uh, this is where we pick up the story. Mark 14, verse 27. On the way, Jesus told them, by the way, all of you will desert me. What a good way of just ending the night, right? <laughs> by the way, we've had a great time, but you're all going to leave me. You're all going to desert me. For the scriptures say... God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Verse 29, but Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, 
this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. How many of you know that at that point, I would probably shut my mouth? You'd, you'd probably shut your mouth, right? If Jesus said, yeah, you're going to actually deny me tonight. You'd be like, what? No, Peter, Peter gets emboldened. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same, right? They all just jumped in on the bandwagon of, I never will. How many of you have ever said that phrase in your life? I never will. Come on, raise your hand. Let's start off right today, admitting things, all right? I never will. I'll never, I'll never be like that. How many of you ever said this phrase? I'll never be like my parents. Yeah, now my parents are sitting directly in front of me. So, so obviously at this moment, I have never said that in my life. I have never, I was raising my hands for you guys so y'all would admit, but um, yeah, right. You know, how many, you say that and now you look back and you're exactly like your parents. There's nothing you can do about it, all right? And, and if you're not, just wait, just wait. All right, those mentalities, those ways of responding, you know, you're gonna be like, man, I sound just like my mom. That's exactly what she used to say. And when I was a teenager, I, I vowed that this moment would never happen, but yet it's here. You know, I have a five-year-old and uh, it's amazing how much I'm raising my five-year-old exactly how I was raised, which is a good thing for me. Okay, some of you, <laughs> that might not be that good of a thing and you have to kind of change some stuff up, right? But uh, it's amazing. And sometimes we say, I never will do something because at the moment, in that moment, we are confident in who we are at that moment, in that environment, in that situation. And we can't forecast that we would ever become like that or do that, right? Come on, I would never do this. And then all of a sudden the environment changes and it's a couple years later and guess what you're doing? The very thing that you said you would not do. And that happens a lot. I never will. And I, I believe it's because of some of the things we're going to talk about today. Some of the ingredients that we're going to talk about. And the first ingredient that goes into deserting Jesus is this thing of pride. When, when Peter says, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will, I see a lot of pride in Peter. Because there's this mentality in him that I'm better than everybody else. Like everybody else might do that because they're weaker than I am, but I would never do that. I'm different, right? I'm, I'm different. Sometimes uh, the enemy plays this trick of deception on us where we start dabbling in something that we know isn't really what we should be dabbling in. But for whatever reason, we have this thought that says, yeah, but I'm not gonna be like those people and go all in. Right? I'm not going to be like those people that, that, that lose it all. I'm, not gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, just a little bit. And that's very, a very prideful thing to say or think and a life to live is, is I'm better than other people. The Bible talks about pride. Uh, how many of you know this? Pride goes before a fall. Pride goes before a fall. The Bible also says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's really three quick symptoms of pride that I want to let you in on. And number one, it's that you might be the person that finds faults in others before yourself. I mean, we're all really good at doing that. I mean, we're, we're all good at identifying in other people where they need to change and what they need to, you know, be like. But whenever we have to look at ourselves, we're not so, we're not so good. We're not good at doing that. We're so, we're so good at pointing the finger. Well, that's really a prideful way to live. It's a symptom of pride. The other would be 
a harsh spirit, or maybe you're just not one of those people that gives out a lot of grace. Not a lot of grace. Somebody cuts you off in traffic and what happens? You know, and then you drive by them and it's an, it's an older person, right? Like really old, right? Like, like 100, because some of you are in your 80s and I would never want to call you old, but you're older. All right, let's just be honest. You know, and, and then you get by them and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, right? Just not a lot of grace. There's not, I mean, we're always on the edge of judging or throwing a stone at somebody. It's amazing. Right, we're smiling, and then one thing happens, and wah, you know, we lash out. Very little grace, kind of prideful. The other would be defensiveness. Now, a lot of times when we're defensive people, we don't think of ourselves as being prideful. But look at the core, the, the root of why you're defensive. A lot of times it's because you're insecure. And a lot of times we're insecure because we're prideful, right? We're, we're protecting something. We're protecting our reputation, how others view us, and, and, right? And so we had this prideful thing about us, and it, it comes out in insecurity, but it's really, it's a defense mechanism, and it's really just pride. Pride is a, is a sneaky little thing that seeps its way into our lives, and humility is what, it's the antidote for that. So do you see some pride in your heart today? Look, begin to humble yourself. Now, the unfortunate thing about humility is that usually we only learn it whenever we mess up. All right, come on. I, I tell you this, I've learned humility the most whenever I've hurt somebody the most, right? Prideful, defensive, whatever, lash out, say something and damage somebody. And then a couple of years later, you realize what you said and how you said it and how wrong it was, but there's no taking it back because it already happened. That will humble you more than anything, right? Because you're like, man, I, I, would, never, I would never want somebody to do that to me, so why would I do that to somebody else, right? And the world tries to create this rhythm, but, but really this is a biblical principle. And it's fueled by love, fueled by compassion, and it's fueled by humility. Pride is, is a key ingredient where we could really get lulled to sleep and desert Jesus. Then the next thing that we're gonna deal with uh, comes, comes directly after this. Now, Jesus has just come down off the mountain he has just prayed to God. He had this extremely intense moment where he says, God, not your will, but not my will, but yours be done. And I believe at that moment, that's where Jesus truly decided to follow through with, with his death. I, I, just, I just, I put myself in his spot to a certain extent. And I'm like, I mean, he's like, God, is there any other way? Just, I want to check. And whenever he got the no, he said, all right, I'll do this. He comes off of this experience and this is where we pick up. Verse 37. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. They're asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I think that Jesus was identifying something in Peter at this time. And it's the second key ingredient of laziness, laziness. How many of you know how lazy, laziness is one of those things that we are able to justify a lot of times in our life, right? We're like we're really good at justifying laziness. And it looks like maybe something like this, like, well, I'm just really busy right now and I, I just can't do that, right? How many of you have ever 
done that. But really what it was is it might have been you just didn't want to do it. <laughs> so you really weren't that busy, but you plugged that in in order to make it feel better, right? Like, I just don't want to have the responsibility of that. Another way of, of twisting that would be it's just, you're just lazy. Come on, we've all, we've all done it. We've all been there. Some of us are, are there perpetually in our life. I live a life of rest. Remember we talked in rest a few weeks ago? And I live a life of rest. And it's like, yeah, but rest is for work. Okay, and you've been living perpetually in rest your whole life, and it's time to, to not be resting anymore, right? But it's this thing of laziness. Now, laziness and most of these actually don't just stay compartmentalized in one area of our life. And that's what's so dangerous about these things is that if I, if I become lazy in one area, usually I, that's a character thing that I've created that now begins to spread into other areas. So if I'm lazy with my finances, right? Well, I might begin to, to carry that lazy spirit over into my family and carry that laziness over into my physical body, taking care of myself. I, I carry that laziness over into other things. And before you know it, you're just lazy. There's, there's no getting around it. You've just become a lazy person. And eventually what also happens is you become lazy in your walk with God. If we raised our hands, which we won't right now, and, and, and I just said, how many of you would have to attribute the fact that you don't study the word of God or, or pray or, you know what I'm saying, to laziness, how many of us would actually raise our hand for that? I mean, let's be honest. That's probably the reason more than anything else. It's, you hit snooze three extra times, some of you four. It's okay. I hit the snooze many times, unfortunately. Actually, I'm gonna be honest, I think today I hit the snooze an hour. I think I did it. I think it was a full hour. So anyway, I understand hitting the snooze. But if that's a daily occurrence in your life, eventually your, your, your spirit man, the, the, the deeper part of you that connects with God is weak. And so it's not like the enemy really had to attack you. It's more you let yourself go. And then the Bible says here, it says that... Um, uh, laziness, you know, obviously makes us susceptible to temptation and, and lies of the enemy. And Peter actually warns us here in First Peter. He said this, and I believe Peter kind of probably learned this, this illustration here uh, with Jesus. He says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. How many of you guys watch National Geographic ever, Right. And, and you've got the antelope that are all chilling out and they're eating or drinking water and, uh, and they don't know that there's a lion that's lurking right behind them, right? And then there's this time whenever somebody sees something and then they take off running, but you always have that one that's lagging behind. You have the one that everybody lifts up their heads and starts running and they're gone and he's like, uh, hey guys, where are you going? And then all of a sudden, you know, and he died. Uh, right, you have that, that one that was just a little bit slower than the other, a little bit lazier, not very alert, and now he's, you know, lunch. Why? Well, because he just wasn't alert. And I, Peter's here to say, hey, guys, look, you got to stay alert. You got to stay watching because the, the devil is like a lion. He is, he is prowling. He is looking for prey to devour, to destroy, and you are that prey. So don't be lulled to sleep like an antelope and, you know, lift your head up after everybody else is gone and say, where's everybody at? Well, man, you fell asleep. 
Stay alert, keep watch. Now, now the antidote for laziness is diligence. Diligence, being a diligent person eradicates laziness in your life. And some of you need to ad- adapt some things or adopt some things in your life today that you need to change some of those patterns that you have because they're lazy patterns and they're leading you where you don't wanna go. And then you're there, open, pray for the enemy, right? So we've got, we've got laziness, we've got pride, now, moving on, this is a third thing. We find it in, in uh, verse 54. And what we're going to see is uh, how Peter reacts to this situation. See, what, what went on is that Jesus was arrested. And if you've read the story at all, you know what happened. But Judas comes. He betrays Jesus. He kisses Jesus. They arrest Jesus. Peter gets excited and all jacked up, and he chops the guy's ear off. And he's like, you know, we're not going to know. And Jesus is like, hey, we're not doing that, man. He puts the ear back on the guy's head which Jesus is so just nonchalant about awesome stuff. (laughs) Let's be honest. He's just like, oh, well, here we go. Hey, Peter, now, like we talked about this before. (laughs) He's just relaxed. And Peter puts his sword away. And well, the Bible says that at that time, a lot of the followers of Jesus, everybody else left. All the people that were like, we will never leave you. The the ear and then he gets arrested and they're gone. They're gone. They leave. And Peter kind of hangs around, but we're going to read how he hung around. Verse 54. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance. He followed him at a distance. He didn't want to get too close to Jesus because at that time, I mean, hey, look, they're arresting him. He doesn't want to get caught in the, in the crossfire. So, so he po- follows him at a distance, and he went right into the high priest's courtyard. He goes right up in there. What caused Peter to go from unto death, I'm with you, to a few short hours later, hanging back at a distance and not wanting to be associated with Jesus? I think it's this trap of this ingredient of of cowardice. Cowardice kind of seeped in. and, And I mean, man, aren't we good at saying, I will never do this or do that until the pressure is applied? Because when that pressure gets applied, some things come out of us that we're not really prepared for. You know, hey, look, my, uh, we have a five-year-old little girl, and whenever we were having Ariana, we're in the hospital. You know, before that, I had watched these videos, and obviously it's always a joke where these guys are passing out, right? Their wife's giving birth, and they're sitting there, you're doing great, baby, and all of a sudden they're like, and then they just, boom, they're out, right? I never understood what that was about. I was like, that's so weird. I would never do that. I would never be that guy that needs the paper bag, you know, <gasps> you know room spinning around. Uh, however, I quickly became that guy. I did. I stand before you today. I was the guy that almost passed out. Uh, she's, uh, the doctor comes in and is like, all right, it's time that we're going to get ready to push. And everybody's, you know, changing. If you've ever been in that situation, you know, everybody starts coming in. Nurses, are, every, everything changes immediately. You're like, what's going on, you know? <laughs> And I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, the reality of what's going on starts hitting, and dude, the room starts going. <laughs> so uh, one of our friends was there. I was like, hey, do you have like a piece of gum? that I need something right now. because, And I was looking around. I was like trying to find like a stool. So literally, I pulled up like this coffee table thing next to the bed. I'm sitting on it like, baby, you're doing great. <laughs> I need that gum. <laughs> you know, it was, I became a coward, all right? I was cowardice. It was me. It was rough, but I didn't know that that was in me until that moment came. So 
I'm kind of freaked out about anything like that ever happening in my life again. You know, I, I tell you, that dude come up in my house. I'll tell him what's up. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you might be the guy that's in the corner like, baby, can you go out and, uh, you know, hey, I'm just saying, don't promise things that you don't know that you, you can deliver on, bro. So anyway, you don't know what's in you till something, you know, so there's pressure applied. And then all of a sudden it's like, man, I didn't realize that, that was there. I don't think that Peter knew that he was going to become a coward whenever the guards came up, whenever Judas kissed. And man, he took out that sword at that moment. He was so ready and, and he reacted. But then after everything settled down, I think that that big man became very small. And now here he is following at a distance, and he's wanting to blend in. But do you guys know that as, as Christians, uh, this thing of cowardice or, or fear is not, it's not how we were created to operate. We're created to, to live in courage, to be brave, to walk in, in righteousness. In Proverbs 28, it says this, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. How many of you do not feel bold as a lion today? Come on, in our culture, it is difficult to be bold. It's difficult just to say, I believe in the Bible, and the standard of the Bible is my standard. If you do that today, you're going you're gonna to get you know, Facebook posts all over the place, and you're going to get criticized, and you're going to become a hater, right? And it's like, no, I'm not. I just believe what the Word of God says above what you say. Is that that bad? Well, nowadays... Yes, it is. And I believe that this cowardice side of the church is going to be tested in new ways as we move forward. Now, we can say the truth in love. Matter of fact, we must say the truth in love. And sometimes saying the truth is actually a timing thing, right? You don't have to just come out swinging with the truth sometimes. It's, it's, we need to be wise. But at some point, truth is truth, and, and it, we have to stand for it. But this thing of being a coward is going to be tested, and whether we're truly courageous enough to stand like Jesus stood and, and speak truth like he spoke. But courage is the antidote for, for cowardice. Courage. The second part of the scripture in verse 54 says this, and this is where we're going to find the next thing. It says, there Peter sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Peter goes from chopping a guy's ear off to warming himself by the fire with these, these cats. I mean, just a, few, just a few minutes ago, and now he's blending in, and he's sitting around the fire, and he's warming himself and hoping that he doesn't get seen. The fourth thing that we see here is this ingredient of worldliness. Worldliness. Now, worldliness is thrown around a whole lot, but what does it really mean? Worldliness really just, it's, it's kind of like carnality. It's operating according to the systems or the, the principles of the world of the kingdom of the world. Maybe this is a safe place. Interference in my little pack back here. But anyway, it's, it's operating, thinking. You're, the principles of your life are, they match the world's principles versus the word of God. You understand that? That's really what worldliness is. Do you think like the world or do you think like God? That's where it can kind of come down to. And worldliness, let's be honest, we don't like to stick out like a sore thumb. I, I, most people don't like to be the one that everybody pays attention to and, 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 and be the different one in the crowd. We, we more want to blend in, maybe go with the flow, 
because it's always easier to go with the flow. Uh, you don't have to fight for it. You just, you just go with what everybody else is doing. But you know, if you, if you picture like a river or something like that that's flowing, the only things that just go with the flow are dead things, right? Or trash or things that have no life to them. That's what's going with the flow. And as Christians, we can't just always go with the flow. We can't. We're not called to that. Actually, Jesus says this in John 15. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. It hates you. That doesn't mean that we hate the world, like hate the people in the world, but it does mean that we hate the world system. But guess what? That world system also hates the Christian system, right? It, hate, it hates the godly principles that we live by. And that is something that you have to get over. And that is something that you have to own as a Christian. You will not always be able to go with the flow. You will not always be able to blend in. At some point, you're the guy that says, yeah, I don't do that. So I'm gonna have to say no. Why? Man, I patterned my life after the, the Bible, and it's, it just says in there that that's not what you're supposed to do, and, and uh, I'm a Christian, so I don't do that. That's awkward for a lot of people. I remember I was 16 years old. I, had a, I got a job at Sears, Sears Electronics, and then I was selling TVs, big old TVs. Y'all know, big TVs. I went through the other day, and there's so much room now because all the TVs are smaller, but anyway... And I'm working with these guys, and they were older than me, all right? They were all out of school and stuff, and so they, they would throw these parties, and, and they would invite me to these parties, and um, I knew what was at the parties, so uh, I didn't go to them. So it, the conversation always looked like this, right? And I was a young guy. I mean, I, I was going, about to be a senior, so I'm in that, that the throes of, of uh, uh, peer pressure, you know what I'm talking about? Like, the throes of it. Like, I wanna be accepted into these, these, this crew, and uh, they were like, hey, man, you want to go to the house? You can have some drinks and blah, 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 blah. And uh, I could have said yes, and I could have gone with the flow. That would have been the funner thing to do at the moment, uh, honestly. To be honest, it would have been funner to go there than to go home. <laughs> but I went home, and I said, man, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to go. He's like, yeah, I kind of figured you wouldn't. Why? Because he knew, he knew my lifestyle. He knew you know, I went to church. I actually went to church and, and did church things. you know. And, uh, and so he's like, yeah, I figured. Well, man, what a, what a huge moment there, a huge win for me personally. But it was, a, it was a difficult decision to make. But guess what? I wanted to be separate from the world. So I didn't put myself in those situations. I wasn't warming myself next to the fire with the guards. And some of you, I think, in this room, are, are, you're finding yourself in this spot. You're, you're finding yourself hanging out with people that you're not supposed to be hanging out with in, in situations, in areas that you're not supposed to be in. See, Jesus was in the same area that Peter was in, but Jesus was in a much different position than Peter was in. Peter was blending in. Jesus was on his way to the cross. He was on his way to the cross. How many of you are just blending in? Blending in, just, I don't wanna stir up any trouble. We don't always fit in, guys. We have to be in the world, but we don't have to be of the world, all right? Now, what's the antidote for this? The antidote for worldliness is this, is holiness. Holiness. Holiness is being separate, being set apart. It's different. We're holy. We're, we're a holy nation. The Bible refers to us as that, a royal priesthood, holy nation. We are set apart 
for God. And that's okay. Accept that. I am, I am, I'm holy. I'm def- different. Stop trying to marry the thinking of your, your past life without Jesus with the thinking with Jesus. Stop trying to make everything work. Give in. Give in to Jesus. Let his thinking, let his patterns of living affect you. And stop trying to, to make ride both sides of the fence. It's, a, it's an ingredient that we don't need in our life, an ingredient of worldliness. So as we progress in the story, chapter 14, verse 66, this is where the rubber's starting to meet the road. It says this, meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She noticed. She looked at him closely and said, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about. And he went out into the entryway. Just then, a rooster crowed. Then, when the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, this man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter. I mean, can y'all feel the pressure building with this guy? He's trying to blend in. This little girl's messing with him. He's like, go away. (laughs) You're annoying me. And she's gathering a crowd. And then all of a sudden, they get together and they confront Peter. And they said this, you must be one of them because you're a Galilean. So Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. Peter's defiant. Now, this is all out of fear, right? This is where Peter's coming from, but, but it's, it's coming to this moment where not only does he deny Jesus, but he curses himself. 72 says, and immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he broke down and he wept. This is the fifth ingredient is this one of denial. Denial. Jesus, Jesus is not, he does, he does not like fair-weathered friends. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'm gonna deny you before God. There is a definite decision, a decisiveness about following Jesus that not only should we have, but Jesus commands. This thing of denying Jesus, not, not, not literally standing up in front of people and denying Jesus, but I think sometimes we deny Jesus by the way that we live our lives. If you put me next to somebody else that doesn't know God, you wouldn't know the difference. It's like a lifestyle of denying Jesus, not wanting to st- stand out. And that, it, Peter's in a corner. He's in a corner and his defensiveness comes out and, and it ends up denying Jesus. Denying Jesus. And can I just say that following Jesus will cost you everything. Following, our society, we want to have our cake and eat it too all the time. Like we want to live the way that we desire to live. And then that way also match up with what pleases God. And so we try so hard to make it fit because we want both sides. We want it to work. But at some point, there is a steel wall between those ways of living. And it's, it, it can't be permeated. It, it can't be both. Our lives must represent Jesus well. And it can't be a lifestyle that denies him. 
If we follow Jesus, it will cost us everything. So this thing of denying Jesus, what is the antidote to denying Jesus? Well, the, the way that I look at denying, if I'm gonna deny something, the way that I wanna do to, to not deny it would be the exact opposite, which is to proclaim it. I think some of you in this room, you need to proclaim that you know Jesus. And you need to proclaim it to your family, to your friends, to those that are closest to you. You actually need to let somebody know that you know Jesus. I'm telling you, it's one of the most powerful things you can do. Look, we don't wanna draw lines in our life because guess what? Like Peter, we might be fearful that we would fall out of that. So in order not to commit ourselves to that, we just are, are very gray, right? We just, we, we don't say, we don't take one side or the other because guess what? If I say it, I gotta commit to it. And whenever you tell somebody I'm a Christian, you have drawn a line. Not like in the sand, like uh, you know, this side or that side, but in your life, you drew a line. So now the actions that you take, guess what? You're, you're kind of accountable for them. You're responsible for them. And you can't just blend in anymore. Some of you need to proclaim Jesus in your life to your family. I'm telling you, some of you, your parents don't know. Your family doesn't know. Your friends don't know that you have made a decision to follow Jesus. And honestly, you don't want them to know. Peter was right there. Peter didn't want these people to know that he knew Jesus because he knew he was gonna be looked at differently and his life was gonna have to change in this moment. Proclaimed Jesus. Now, we're gonna close today and I wanna look at the, this story from a different angle. It's out of the book of Luke. Because we're talking about the, the, the ingredients to deserting Jesus. And I know that all of you probably found a little bit of yourself in one of these points. It's, it's almost impossible. I think I probably am five for five, okay? There, there's something in me that, I mean, look, we're always working. And, and as we draw closer to God, things should be illuminated in our life that, that we have to repent of and change. But the thing I love about Jesus and, and the message of Jesus, the gospel, is that Everything with God is redemptive. It's redemptive. It doesn't always mean the process is easy, but the end point, the end goal is really a great thing. And so here in Luke chapter 22, verse 61, Peter has just denied Jesus. And this is what it says. At that moment, the Lord, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Come on, right now, can you imagine that? Now, now. Put yourself in Peter's spot. You have been with this man for three years. You have seen him do things that are spectacular. You have given everything you are to this person and they have done the same to you. And here they are arrested and now you can't even admit that you know them. Can you imagine the, the, the that's just embarrassing. The, 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 amount, the lack of honor that he feels for his, for his Lord it happens, the rooster crows, Jesus looks at him. The Lord's words flash through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny me three times that you, that you even know me. And Peter was so overwhelmed, he left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Weeping bitterly. Jesus looks at Peter. Jesus didn't have to say anything. All the words were already spoken. All he did was he just looked at him. His, his, his gaze, his focus was looking at Peter, and it created these two things. Number one, it created conviction in Peter's heart. The eyes of the Lord, whenever they look upon you, they create, it, they create conviction. 
Conviction is a good thing, by the way, all right? Just like repentance. Conviction, honestly, it means that Jesus cares for you. It means that God is disciplining you. He disciplines those he loves. And conviction is all about saying, hey, you're over here and you're supposed to be right here. It's not where I want you to be. Come over here. The eyes of the Lord brings conviction. And Peter feels it at this moment. So much so that he leaves and he's, he's weeping bitterly. But again, the thing I love about Jesus is that nothing ever stays right there. See, conviction and repentance is so that there is redemption. The eyes of the Lord also bring redemption. And many of you in this place today, you, you know that you're far from God. You know that you don't know God. Actually, you know that you've probably been ashamed of him at times. You found yourself in Peter where you denied Jesus in the way that you live. You've really, maybe you've served him at some point, but you've lived a lifestyle that has now caused you to be like one of these disciples where whenever the pressure is applied, you ran, you run. And the eyes of the Lord are just in this place, looking at every single one of our lives. That's what his word does. It's, it permeates us. It looks at our heart. And right now, you know that you're far from God. You know that you don't know him. But, but can I just say that the conviction of God is so that there's repentance so that there is life, so that there's redemption. The message of Jesus is a very high standard. It's good news, but it is, it takes a lot of commitment. But whenever you make a decision to follow him, the Bible talks about how his grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient for you. I, you know, as I'm looking out here, I know a lot of you probably were raised up in church and you've probably been at this moment in a service hundreds of times. And maybe you've raised your hand or you've come to the front, you've done that thing just tens of tens of times, right? I was there. There is a trap in that of feeling like you've tried it so many times that you don't wanna try again. We actually see this with Peter. What, what happens is Jesus dies, he's resurrected, and he ends up with Peter again. Now, now, now this is an intense moment. The last time that Jesus and Peter saw each other was in that courtyard where, where Peter denies Jesus three times. And the next time that they're together, Jesus goes to Peter and Jesus asks him this question. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter responds with a different word for love. See, Jesus said, do you love me unconditionally? Like, do you love me? And Peter comes back with a term that I'll just say, it's kind of like, like. Jesus, I really, I like you. You know, yeah. So Jesus asks, asks him again, says, Peter, no, do you love me? Do you unconditionally, like, I mean, do you, are you with me? Do you love me? And Peter again says, Jesus, I really, really like you. Now, some of us can look at that story and be like, oh, Peter was just, what's his deal? Why can't he just say, why would he not tell Jesus that he loves him the same way that Jesus is saying that? Well, I think it's because Peter's feeling a massive amount of guilt and condemnation and some fear because Peter had tried all those other times and he put himself out there. He said, I never will. I'll never do that. And he fell flat on his face. And I think that Peter didn't want to do it again. That's why I think Peter was hesitant to fully give himself back over. He's like, Jesus, you know that I've already said, I've already given you lip service and it didn't work out. 
I don't wanna do it again. I don't wanna disappoint you again. So, so I'm just gonna distance myself from you. Some of you, you're falling into that trap where you don't wanna disappoint God again. You don't wanna say all these empty promises. And so you're distancing yourself from God where he's like, draw close to me and I will draw close to you. But the enemy has a way of deceiving us and, and causing us to think that I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, and so I just need to put myself over here. I just, yeah, Jesus, I love you, kind of, I'm, I, but I'm not, I can't follow through. It's a trap, it's a ploy of the enemy, it's isolation. And right now, Jesus has his hand out towards you right now in this room saying, come closer to me. I, the Bible says, Jesus says this, come close to me and I will give you rest. Some of you are in a place of turmoil in your walk with God, in your family, in your friends, your relationships, you're in turmoil. It, it never stops. And today it's time to, to quit trying and let God, I'm telling you, his grace is sufficient for you. His forgiveness is here. All you have to do is respond. So I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna do anything strange, bring you up to the front of the room. I'm not gonna do any of that, but in a moment, I am gonna ask those of you who do not know Jesus, maybe you did at one point, but you kind of fell into the traps like Peter did. And now you know that you're dis there's a distance between you and him, that you are far from him. I'm gonna ask you in a moment to raise your hand because there's something powerful about raising your hand. There's something powerful about admitting something. You know what I'm talking about? There's something about it. And, and that's, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that. And as you draw close to God, he is faithful. And just like we read earlier, he will draw close to you. So right now go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. No one's looking around. It's a moment between you and God. And if that's you, you know that you're far from him. Right now, go ahead and raise your hand. Come on, I see you over here. Yeah, wow. Come on, all over the room many people right now responding to Jesus. Yeah. Come on. Come on, if it's you, just go ahead and raise your hand. Say, God, that's me. Yes. Such an awesome moment. God's grace is in this place. His love is here. His presence is here. Where his presence is, there's freedom, there's liberty. Come on, I believe some of you, as you raised your hand, the chains that the enemy has had wrapped around your feet, your hands, they're breaking right now. Because the, the devil has no power in the presence of God. The devil cannot overcome our God. He is able to defeat the enemy in your life and in mine. And right now, the game is about to change for you. Come on, I'm gonna pray. And as I pray, I don't want you to repeat every word I say, but I want you to include yourself in this and begin to pray yourself, begin to, to pray to God. Come on, let's pray right now. Father, God, I am coming before you humbly. God, I am at the end of myself. And so Lord, I, I throw my failures, my sin, all the things that I've tried so hard at, I throw them at your feet. God, and I receive your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness for me. Jesus, I thank you for dying on that cross, living a perfect life, 
dying a shameful death for me, for my sin, for my shame. And God, I receive your life. I receive it for me. God, and I thank you for giving me another chance. God, that you are the God of multiple chances. Lord, that you haven't given up on me. And God, today, right here in this moment, I give you my life, I give you my heart. Use me for your kingdom, use me for your purpose. God, let every day that I live from here on out give you glory and honor and praise. God, I know that what the devil meant for evil, you have redeemed and you have turned it for good. I thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen, come on, can we get up for those who gave their hearts to God today? If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. If you'll text the word SAVED to 51660, we want to send you a link to our website that'll explain a little more about the decision you just made and give you some steps to take so that you can grow in your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.